podcast for all your film and entertainment needs um as usual i'm joined by my co-host eric sayor hi and uh, i am your other co-host uh arlen harrow and uh this week we're going to be discussing uh again hitchcock um uh, because we went longer than we expected last week uh so we decided hey let's do it again let's do some more talk more about hitch so turns out hitchcock one of the greatest directors of all times movie are fun to talk about who would have known i i would never have guessed never uh not once (laughs) um but yeah there's a lot to talk about there's a lot to take apart um so uh this is your second episode um since we already did you know basic introduction to hitchcock you know we're assuming you listen to the first one so we're just gonna jump straight into our first movie for this week which is a uh, dial in for murder <clears throat> I'll, I'll let you do the first part okay uh dial in for murder is a um is a 1954 film starring uh uh, Ray Millen, Grace Kelly, and Robert Cummings, and it's uh, not—I wouldn't call it a murder mystery because you know about the murder, but it's a—it's a murder plot mm-hmm. where um, a man that knows his wife has been his rich wife that supports his lifestyle that's been cheating on him tries to. Uh, make up the plan to kill her uh, so that he would inherit her fault, her fortune. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, not obviously, but his plan goes completely wrong, like the film <laughs> foreshadows very directly. And uh, the man he hires, he hires to kill her, ends up dead, and then he tries to frame the whole thing as her being the murder it's it's kind of complicated to explain <laughs> it's yeah. not a very like 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 most hitchcock film it has twists and it's not very it uh, it's it always tries to engage you and make you think something's gonna happen that's not and it it um it plays with expectations really well. Yeah, that's a very that's a very good way of sort of that's a very good way of describing this film. It's a it's a movie that <clears throat> it's a really simple setup. You sort of get both sides in the beginning. You get Grace Kelly sort of giving you a lot of background on her part of the story, and uh, <clears throat> the man who she is sort of cheating on her husband with. And then you get her husband and his plan, and you see how these sort of things combine. And you're you're sort of set up with this mystery of well, who stole Grace Kelly's letter? And you know she sort of um, 
she's sort of in uh what's the word uh she uh makes it seem like it is her husband who stole the letter um and she she, she leaves a lot of evidence out there to suggest it um to you know her sort of former boyfriend on the side um and then you see then you get confirmation from him and you see that he is plotting to murder her and it's very matter of fact and it's and it's very well done um because you just see like the the pieces falling into place um and they fall into place so well that when things go wrong it's shocking because you're just you've just been convinced that well this is how it's gonna work out um and it's all you go ahead i, I like the the, the uh, uh her uh, her lover grace kelly's lover mm-hmm. is introduced as a, a mystery novelist writer right. yes. so yes. he writes he writes crime stories and he obviously knows that like he's like i said before he says that uh, the murder always goes wrong and then it does right it's it's it um and what you expect at, at least what I, I expected starting the film is that uh her his murder plot would work and mm. she'd die that's the expectation and that him the crime novelist is going to find uh find out because by retracing the crime because he knows about crime he right. knows about uh, far-fetched crimes Right, but that's not what happened at all, and it's it's way more interesting that what I feel would be this film if it was written by uh, I don't know most most directors today or most directors not 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 just today just uh, most directors in history. Mm-hmm. But Hitchcock doesn't like uh, the obvious story path. No, no, and he. This is, it's interesting because, you know, movies have twists all the time, and sometimes you get a double twist. This movie has, like, a triple twist towards the end. Um, because, and again, it's it's all about, like, he does a very good job of establishing character and making you think you know how a character works very quickly he does he does a lot of work up front like when he introduces the inspector you really get a sense that the inspector is the typical inspector who doesn't really know what's going on but you know with the evidence being given he puts it together that it is grace kelly who murdered the man and you know she was blackmailing him or he was blackmailing her so she killed him and you get the sense that that is actually what he believes and everything that Hitchcock has put on screen has told you as much and he's very reassuring um so when you get to the point where he reveals that no he's kind of had a suspicion all along he's much smarter than we've been led to believe and he knows exactly what happened he just needed the evidence to put it all together um and he also needed the information about the money that he was spending to sort of help him you know put all these pieces in place um so yeah and that's i, I love the yeah okay no go ahead no you i, I was yeah i didn't have anything so <laughs> go ahead <laughs> I, I love the point of view uh, this movie particularly has because you're always um one step behind what's gonna happen 
mm-hmm. the street, but you're always on the same level as the character that knows the most. Mm-hmm. Like, as soon as uh, you never, um, never feel tricked by a character, you're always, uh, you always they think what they want to happen, and you know it before, uh, with the, the first character to know before everyone else. Mm-hmm. So you're always waiting uh, how your characters are going to react to what you know. Right. It's it's a, a very a very good point of view to have this kind of story a very twist because you instead of um, you you're surprised and anticipation of wanting to see how the characters are the characters are going to do with what's with that twist, with that surprise. Mm-hmm. For example, Raymond, um, when he realizes he can uh, set up his wife, then he sends her to the room and talks to the police and the gloves. And you're just willing to that you're expecting it to work for him and you're with uh, a lot of right I don't know if you agree with me yeah yeah um your connection's getting a little bit bad again sorry it's just so it's a little complicated um yeah uh you yeah that's that's a yeah that's very it's very good um Can you actually repeat what you said? I'm sorry. I'm just uh, that came in really, mm-hmm. really, really cruddy on my end. Oh, sorry. Okay. Uh, I was saying um, that I, I like the point of view that, uh, that's used in the movie. Like you always know what's gonna uh, be when the first character makes a decision. Is something you're always following the you're always uh on the you're not never all the characters but you're a step ahead of the the characters that are, you're on the level of the characters so you get to be surprised by it and then you get the anticipation of uh knowing what character is going to react and how to see how that's going to affect everyone every other character okay and then i was thinking for um as soon as uh, uh, Roman characters uh, uh, realizes that he could frame for the murder, that he sends when you, you and, and like I talked about in the episode before, you, you get to the space which Hitchcock does, and you see him make a decision, send his wife to a room, by the black man envelope on the man, and then you then you have the anticipation of waiting for the fallout of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a that's a very good point. You really, you you do get like you get a very strong sense of you know where these characters are in relation to each other in terms of knowledge, um, and how. Th- what they know will affect other characters. Um, and when things are revealed, it, there's this sense of 
shock in this movie that feels it's very instantaneous but it's also it's it doesn't matter because you you can feel that somehow it's not going to turn out the way you think it will you know when um when uh grace kelly's boyfriend uh i believe it's uh mark halliday when he reveals that um tony has been stashing this money in the uh, suitcase um you you for a second you think oh well this is this is how tony gets caught and then tony finds a way out of it and you can kind of feel that tony's gonna get out of it after just a few seconds of tony looking at the case and the way that they interact with each other and you can tell that the detective's buying it wholesale and that he's he's you know he's not gonna do anything about it he's just gonna leave it there um you know and when it ends you're you're kind of um (laughs) it's it's it it hurts a little bit you're like damn she's gonna she's gonna be hung um because this detective didn't put the pieces together right um but it's yeah it's a very effective movie and and he does use the tension of what somebody knows and what other people don't know very well and making you and again like you said putting you in the point of view of the person who knows the most which is an interesting way of putting it that i never would have thought of yeah uh, another another thing i noticed a lot with the hitchcock stories is that the bad guy or the worst guy never wins mm-hmm. yeah it's it's always a, I, I guess that's why um his movies were so well liked by everyone and the, they work as uh, entertainment they used to work as entertainment for for everyone in the same way a blockbuster would today because the, the bad guy loses at the end and you get to be surprised and taken on a roller coaster of twists and it's it's a this this movie I feel is a good as uh, a good example of that a movie that uh, it it didn't do like uh, as much as other of his films uh, uh, at the box office but it's it's a, a film that feels very uh, uh, easily accessible mm. in its storytelling and its its characters it's very simple it's on a smaller scale and it works in that scale. He every most of the story, like almost every scene, is in the apartment or around it. The, there's like the one din- dinner scene, but that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, you, yeah. That's very. That's very good. Um. I'm sorry. I'm. I'm kind of out of it tonight. I don't know why. <laughs> um uh, okay um yeah yeah the apartment is a very big part of this movie and you really you get a sense of the world um but and it's very obviously it's a it's a set of some sort um but uh you definitely get a feeling that you're in a certain specific place and a certain time um you know it's sunny out but you get the sense that it's kind of like you know maybe spring or fall um by just by what everybody's wearing um and 
the characters are so well shaped i guess they're they're very like you know pointed and they're very easy to relate to i guess um and their their lack of complexity is almost a strength um i would say and which is interesting yeah no you're right they're they're very easily readable everything they want and why it's easy to get it and it's easy to like the 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 guy that wants to kill his wife at first you you're not sure about that part but uh but before that when you know his wife is cheating on him you start being by being on his side yeah and he's the he's the one that's gonna learn his wife has been with another man and wants to to leave him for that other man but yeah. then, then you get uh, like no no one is is a no one's really a, an angel in this film yeah. except the detective he's like just a, a good guy yeah and his plan is so it's not an angry plan where he like slowly tortures her or anything like it's not a plan where she's going to no. die badly it's a plan where he's detaching himself from it so he's not going to feel sort of like a a passion from it um and he allows it to be something that is it's not the least painless but it's not the most painless thing either it's a you know it's it's suffocation so it's not gonna be this long drawn out thing presumably so you get the sense that you know he's trying to kill her in the most humane way possible uh and it's it's not vengeance for him it's sort of just like she wronged me um so i have to get rid of her um it's very dispassionate the way that he's going about it yeah he's just a very effective character yeah that's good at calculating how his goal and a tennis one that can react quickly someone that thinks in the game Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He's very much... He's kind of... With profession. Sorry, I didn't catch that last part. Um, I said it, I just said it works with the profession. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah it does. Um, and he... Like him being a tennis player, him being like so... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you're right. It is sort of... You know, he has a... He has the ability to think on his feet. Um, that I I never would have connected the tennis player thing either. But that is that is a very good way of putting it together because in tennis you do sort of have to think. It's more of a thinking sport than a lot of other one on one sports. So yeah, that is that's a good point. Um, yeah, and uh, I think it's it's interesting because you know, you brought up the. You know, the boyfriend writes detective stories, and he, he in many ways is like a character from a detective story. Um, uh, and a lot of the, you know the way that he says things is very detective story, you know, ish. Like he has himself read a lot of detective stories, um, but he never, he never comes off as evil. Which is again, this is another thing I really like about him. Like he is. He's kind of a likable character. Like you said, he's you kind of are on his side at points. Um, because you do feel that he has been wrong to some degree, which is which is interesting. I think 
Hitchcock likes to do that to his villains. He likes to make them relatable. You know, I, we didn't, I don't remember bringing it up when we talked about North by Northwest, but the bad guy in that movie is very relatable. Um, you can see his point of view, and when he's caught, you really feel for him. Um, and when he talks about, you know, if I don't do things right, I will be killed, you know, and you really, you really buy his side of the story. Um, and this villain has a very similar thing going on. Are we talking about uh, Notorious? Uh, North by Northwest, sorry. Yeah, okay, no, because we, we did talk about that that same exact thing uh, uh, yeah. about the end of Notorious, that That's at true. the end when he... When you know he's gonna get killed by the Nazis, it's you feel bad for him because he, he's like pleading with uh, he's pleading with the main character and he, just let me come with you to the mm -hmm. hospital so that they don't kill me. Yeah, but yeah. they they leave him and he dies, and you know he's gonna die. Right, and you get this, you do get this, yeah. There is sort of a through line where he he's very good at that. He is he can make the bad guy very relatable in a way that even a lot of modern bad guys aren't relatable. You know. The, there's a thing, you know, that people say, you know, the best bad guys are the ones where you see that are side. But very often, even at the end, by the end, you may be against them. You know, by the end of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, you are against Koba, presumably. This movie, even at the very end, you're not entirely against this guy. You still see his side. Uh, you're, you're glad that Grace Kelly lives through the movie. Spoilers. Because... <laughs> Uh, it's a it's a movie Spoilers from the 50s. for a sixty five year old movie, <laughs> right? Yes, uh, but uh, yeah, she survives, um, and you're happy that she survives. Uh, but you're also like, I would have, I wouldn't have minded if he got away with it somehow, you know. And she still survived, you know. If there was a sort of middle place, and I guess in a way, he, you know, they, to suggest that he'll only go to prison for like five years or something. I don't know about that. I don't know much about British law. Um, but who knows? So, yeah. Uh, I don't really have a lot of other, like, big thoughts, but I'll, I'll let you go if there's anything that you really want to bring up about this. I, I think I think we, we, we talked a lot about it. So I have to say, like, I did enjoy it, and talking about it now made me enjoy it more. But uh, watching the film, I... I I kind of was a bit uh, a man on it when when finishing it. Yeah, I think the 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 pacing doesn't really work for me. Yeah, uh, as as much as I wish it did, it's like very like like a, I think the storytelling is good about making you uh, kind of know what's gonna happen a bit better than both characters, but I think. That sometimes that's detrimental to the films. So you know, and you're just waiting and waiting and waiting, and mm -hmm. sometimes it just feels a bit too stretched out. Yeah, like the time from when you find out the detective is on the right track to the point where Ray Milland finally walks through the door, you know, and sees them waiting for him. That time is it takes a little bit too long, but there is something tense about the scene, and I like there is enough time to get just enough exposition out and it's not bad exposition it's very well done in that you know everybody is sort of going through the motions but 
they could go through those motions a little bit faster. Uh, uh, so yeah, I definitely agree with that. There are there are like points where it feels like pulling teeth. <laughs> Uh, or it's yeah. Like, yeah, this could go. This could go a little bit quicker. This could go a little bit quicker. Like I wish it was just like ten minutes shorter. Mm-hmm. Even maybe less than that. Like maybe seven minutes shorter. Right. And it would feel just a bit more tight and a bit more. Uh, it would work a bit better because I I I, I tend to like most like Hitchcock really drawn mm-hmm. out scenes when he pans the camera and right. and he you feel the tension but sometimes it, it just it, it feels a bit too much and i think at some parts in this film it, it does yeah but, like i said I, I overall it's a it's a really good film yeah, yeah. um so. and, and you know he does some interesting stuff you know there's that shot and shot that i've never seen before because it's not overhead shot and it's not a wide shot either it's like it's at an angle almost um like it's a it's like a it's again not quite an overhead shot but it's at like a 45 like a degree angle. Shot, yeah. Yeah, yeah like over the uh fireplace and it's um Raymond and uh the murderer whose name i can't remember or the person who he tricks into you know killing his wife um it, and it's it's a very strange shot, and it's when they're sort of discussing the details of the murder, um, and where you're starting to see uh, his you know former college you know friend you know sort of starting to think you know maybe I can do this you know Swan the character's name is sort of you know he's putting it together he's like you know what this might not be a bad idea. Um, and it's it's a very strange shot, but you get both of their intonations uh, very well in that shot. But it's, it's still so weird, and it's a very it's very typical of Hitchcock to have this weird shot that just throws you off a little bit. Um, but it works for the tension of the scene. There's one small thing that they use in this film that I actually love. Now talking about his uh, being his college buddy, it's the is the picture on the wall. Mm-hmm. He takes out the picture on the wall and shows it to him, and then he again with his It's just a really good. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I I just love the the use of the picture. It's, it's uh, it just really works for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, I guess. Um. Yeah, I like that. I like the detective a lot. Um. Yeah. I'm so like i mean they weren't into sequels at the time i understand that but if hitchcock were doing movies today that detective would have multiple movies i feel like <laughs> like that detective he just yeah he just show up at the end of another murder mystery mm-hmm. like uh, just as uh, he'd be like the detective in hitchcock films mm-hmm. he'd be in half of them at least um yeah like and here's the thing, I would not be against that at all, because there are a lot of them where he would fit, especially the movies that are set in England, um, if he was just in all of them. And in some of them, he's there more, some of them, he's there less, and I could definitely see that. Um, and maybe there's a crossover where he goes to America and he meets, you know, a, I don't know, Cary Grant's character from North by Northwest or something. That would be interesting also. Um, so yeah, that would be a the Hitchcock cinematic universe. Yes, yes, yes. Um, that and they uh at the end uh, a bunch of characters they team up to catch um 
the main character of, uh, no, it's our, not our next film. Damn it, that was a good transition, but it's not our next film. <laughs> uh, uh, birds. No, uh, but yeah, uh, so I guess, yeah, let's go to the birds. Um, huh? Yeah, yeah, go through the birds. Yeah, um, so next one was the birds. Um, I mean, the birds is kind of iconic. Um, I feel like it's the Hitchcock movie that most people know um, more than any other. Uh, it, I mean, it's really that and Psycho. Like, those two movies are burned into people's minds. Again, as I said last week, most people may not have even seen many of these movies, but they know them. Um, and that's definitely the case with this. Um, you know, the birds has so many moments that are iconic. And then there are so many moments that I didn't expect in this movie. Um, cause I didn't know, <clears throat> cause I saw this movie when I was like, when I was very young, I did not remember the plot of this movie. And it's, <laughs> it's an interesting plot to say the least. Um, it's. A movie about a man and a woman aggressively flirting with each other? Is, am I am I wrong in, in describing it that yeah. way? Yeah, very much. No, 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 you're right. Yeah. Surprisingly, like, it's very much about their... Uh, them wanting each other. Mm-hmm. Like, the, 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 the... Like, the... The part... I wasn't expecting to wait that long to see the birds, like, mm-hmm. to actually get into that part of the story. But that that's, like, kind of expected at this point, like, having watched a few Hitchcock films. Like, what, it, what it's about, you just get it, like, 45 minutes in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, the, the main plot of the story kicks in a little while down the line. Um... But it really works um, in this movie because you really get a sense of this town, this sort of, you know, almost a New England style town in California. Um, and you get a sense of the geography of this town. Um, and there's this great shot that I that I love when she's, you know, she's coming out of the house after leaving the bird there. Um, and she's going across that sort of bay and you just see her and she's watching the road as the car is sort of, you know, coming to meet her there. Um, I love it. It gives you a great sense of, you know, how this town is built and where everything is in <clears throat> orientation. Yeah. yeah, we've talked a lot about uh, Hitchcock and the sense of space, but it's usually very much for a smaller space or like for rear window, like just the, the back behind the street. But... In this film, he does it really well for for the the whole town. It's like it very much just feel, feels like a whole, and you know every t- what you know like uh, everything has a relationship and has a meaning and it works mm-hmm. very well. Yeah, yeah. So you really get a good sense of you know where the schoolhouse is in relationship uh, to uh, is it uh, Annie? Yeah, the Annie character, um, and again waiting so long for the birds to actually start acting like the birds uh as you would expect them to be it allows you to connect to these characters so when something bad does happen to them you you feel it pretty hard um and it you know and it and every death feels meaningful 
when there are deaths. There aren't very many in this movie, surprisingly. But the ones that are there are very impactful. Uh, I, I did... I actually saw this film in theaters for when I saw it for the first time. I saw it last year. Uh, it was playing here. They do like one classic movie a month. Mm. And there's a there's that one particularly particular scene that I always remember uh just because I that I got only because I watched it in theaters. It's um when uh they go to uh to the to the house the yeah old man house yeah, old yeah. man's house the grandfather's because they house. heard the grandfather's house yes exactly because they heard about the attack and then you, you they enter the room and oh, yeah. you see you didn't get the the slow really slow panning shot all over the room until it ends on the completely fucked up dead body yeah and there's a there's a guy that was uh at the, in in the way I was in the middle, so a guy way in the back in the corner that just screamed, "Oh shit!" <laughs> <laughs> and they're like just completely shocked about what what just happened. Probably haven't seen it before, like me. So yeah, I, I'll remember that, that particular scene and that particular guy like mm-hmm. forever. That's that's great. Yeah, I love that. I love that scene. And then I love I love that we follow the mother out of the house as she's running and it's just it's it's so, so well done. It's very well done. Yeah. And and her emotion really like makes you feel for this character that you really hadn't met before unless I'm mistaken. Um uh, but I don't remember the actual character that well. He's one of the only deaths that you don't get any setup for. But her reaction sells that scene so well. Um, yeah, and he's great with directing in this movie. He directs all the actors very well in this movie, and there isn't—I can't think of a weak actor or actress in this movie. Even a young, very young Veronica Cartwright um, in this movie is she's very good. Um, you know, and it's a—it's a joke, but you know, child actors tend to be terrible, and she is an exception to the rule. Yeah, I feel like. Child actors tend to be terrible in bad movies. That's more mm. how it works. Yeah. Like, well, okay, a lot of good directors manage to right. make good performances from mm. from children. Yeah. I feel like it's just it's just a matter of both casting and directing, probably. Yeah. I think the times when when child actors aren't great in good movies, it's people overreacting a little bit. You know, like. The kids yeah. in Jurassic Park aren't that bad, um, but they're not I, great either. <laughs> so yeah, people... no, I, I don't even feel like they were like no way. Having seen a like, we've both seen probably so much movies where where the uh, kids are bad, but mm-hmm. like in I don't even know. I didn't notice it that much in Jurassic Park, considering I've seen so much worse. Especially when you see a movie that's older mm-hmm. than like. 15 years old or something yeah yeah some of those kids it feels like they were picked off the street and then told to say lines and in a lot of older movies um they probably like took kids that were in commercials or something and mm -hmm. then oh you've done one acting job let's put you in a movie right yeah and they're not given any direction on how to actually be in the scene and 
again yeah. with Veronica Cartwright in this movie, she is she is very good, you know, and you you know, and she's you know, I think most people would know her from Alien. She's um uh Lambert in Alien. Um Okay, yeah. Yeah, um and she's she's just as good in this movie as she is an alien um like she, she you really get the sense that she had talent very early on and she's and there's the scene where she's you know where annie has just died um and they're in the car and she's crying and it's it's a very again it's a very effective scene um and they play emotions and hitchcock plays emotions very real in this movie um you know she's not crying too much she's crying at a point where you're like i believe that i believe that this person would react that way um and and this movie's not very overplayed uh the only person who maybe overcooks her lines a little bit is the mother um but it's it kind of works i think it doesn't really stand out so yeah no you're right i I think I, i think you're right on this um do you want to talk about the ending? Because I love the ending. I love the ending too. I love the yeah. It's it's like yeah. Yeah. No. You, first hearing on the radio that a bunch of towns were attacked. That it's not only this one town that the military is involved and all that. And then choose to leave. There's there are so many birds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. many birds. It's 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 so. Like it's the most terrifying scene of the film, right? I feel like it's the one when 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 they air, they feel the most actually at risk because you've seen the birds and you've seen them like attack, but then now they're silent and you don't know why. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's it's very it's a very good it's the like it. The film doesn't really feel like a horror horror film like it probably did in when it came out. Yeah. It's not, it's not that it's not particularly scary. It is at times it, it does manage to like build tension and, but that one ending scene is is the is the best uh, is the scariest the birds ever are. Yeah, because yeah. they're just they're so still. I know. I mean, a couple of them are obviously painted, but that's fine. Uh, yeah, it, it's a very well shot painting. Um, it's a very it's a very well composed um, rear projection shot, I believe. Um, but it's and it's it is creepy, and I love that you don't get any sense of how this all ends. There is no real ending. It's sort of just you know they drive away, but you don't know how things are going to resolve themselves. Um, and I, I I love that. I, I love that, you know, for all we know, this world continues on and people are just attacked by birds, you know, or this is maybe this is the experience that causes humans to start respect birds more because this was a bird showing dominance or something like that. Um, but it could go all different places, but you just don't know. And I like that a lot, this, especially in this movie. Yeah. It's, it's really weird to rewatch this film after watching Birdemic. <laughs> I, I was wondering which one of us would bring that up first. Um, <laughs> because, you no, know, really, actually, the birds don't look like they they look better because they look like they fit more. But mm-hmm. the effects on them aren't that better, and it's it's incredible to see that how how 
Hitchcock manages to take those the like the birds look when they're flying they, they do look bad even in uh, in in the birds sometimes they they do yeah. look like really but but it's it always works it never takes you out of it it never no. makes you laugh out loud like the first time you see the birds in the no it never makes you laugh it's just it's just like oh okay that's definitely not a real bird that's her it was a real bird it's like, yeah it's like okay I'm, I'm definitely watching a movie from the 60s it's okay right. I, like I, i'm 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 ready to like uh, put aside that the birds don't look that realistic it's not a, an issue at all right uh, yeah there's there's another small detail I really liked. It's uh, it's uh, when every scene at the school you get to see the oh, yeah. the playground the the metal the metal structure on the playground. Slowly get filled. Like there's one bird at first, maybe two, then a few more and a few more. Then it's and then you realize it's actually covered with birds. Right. It's so. It's, it's uh. Yeah, it, it builds really, really well. Yeah, it does. It, it's it's so weird because that scene has been copied so many times. And I remember watching this uh, and thinking, I, this has been copied, but it's I don't think it's ever been copied as well as it's co- been copied, you know, or I don't think it's ever been copied to the point where it is, works as well as it does here because it, it just, it's so tense. And I don't remember there being very much music in that scene. It's just... You know, cut away. You know, her. She's looking away. She's not paying attention, and then she looks back, and there are more birds. And it's just the way it builds is so well done. Um, and it, it's a yeah. that's that's a great scene. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that's all I have to say about the birds. I, I really liked it. I, I love. I'm very happy. Like the first time I got to see it was in theaters. That's. Uh, yeah. That made me like it even more than I probably would have if I had watched it on a laptop or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Um, there are a lot of shots where I could definitely see being in a theater would be very impactful. You know, like when that gas station goes up in flames. Um, that's yeah, no, that. that's great. Yeah, that's overhead shot. Yeah, that's yeah. that in the sky shot. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, the only thing I want to talk about is the ornithologist character. Um, again, she was copied <laughs> verbatim in Bird Demic. Uh, <laughs> like, I think they copied some of her lines in Bird Demic. Um, but the ornithologist character, she's great. Um, and she's very convincing. And, you know, it's sort of a, a callback to um, Rear Window, where, you know, uh, Jimmy Stewart is trying to convince Grace Kelly that a murder actually did happen, you know slowly they kind of start to convince the ornithologist that maybe there's something up um and she's she's just great in that that entire scene you know and she's throwing out logic and throwing out facts that you know should put the audience at ease but you've seen what the characters have seen so you know that uh maybe the ornithologist isn't going to be very helpful here um and that's i love that i love having an expert who should be able to help who can't actually help at all their expertise is invaluable you know or not invaluable just useless in this situation because it's it's completely out of the realm of you know our reality as we know it yeah i agree 
Uh, I think we're gonna move on to our last, uh, yeah, yeah, last Hitchcock film. Yeah, the movie which that is I, the that I had a great the... transition for, uh, but it was out of time. Um, now, uh, so yeah, I, the other movie that is probably the most iconic, uh, Psycho. Um, yeah. I mean, like I think I think the birds is maybe his most well-known film. If you ask anyone on the street. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, not, not if you ask the street about films, like probably more people had heard had heard about Psycho. I would yes. not, I mean the birds, but Psycho is the one you think about when you think about Hitchcock. Yes, and like if if you do the the music from the shower scene, everybody knows that music. <laughs> everybody yeah. knows it. It's it's. <laughs> It is drilled into our brain. Like, it's the shower scene music, and it's the Jaws music. Those two pieces of score are so burned into our brains um, that, you know, you could play either of them. And people, again, people who have never, never seen either movie know them just verbatim. Um, and, yeah, so that scene in particular is so well known. Uh so, yeah. yeah, the the we can start with the shower scene. Yeah, like, like I feel, I don't feel like we need to introduce Psycho. It's no. like um, it's it's a, it's a movie. If you listen to this podcast, you probably know what Psycho is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what Psycho is. Like, it's <laughs> it's a well known term among like film nerds that like if you say, oh well, they're gonna you know this character was Janet Laid. Uh, this character, you know, they they Janet lead this character. That means you're introduced to a character as the main character, and then that character is killed early on. <laughs> uh, that's, like that's a that's a fairly you know common term of phrase to use. You know, and it 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 only happens very rarely. Uh, and it's so, and it, it I know it was shocking at the time, and it's still kind of shocking now you know that she's going to die very early on but it still oh, yeah, works yeah, you... the first thought is I had no idea about I didn't know anything except that about the shorts that's the only thing you know and then when you know that this happening should this character that you follow since the beginning everything you since the beginning doesn't even matter because she's just dead and the money is lost and whatever it is mm-hmm. it's it's so good it's still so good even if you know what is gonna happen you know that she's yeah, it still works so well yeah. yeah and it becomes and again it's so interesting it becomes Anthony Perkins movie he becomes the star part way through and He's so good, uh, and and this is uh, I mean we talked about this in Dial In for Murder. You realize that he has something wrong in his head. He's he's not right, um, but yeah, you root for him. <laughs> uh, Hitchcock does a very <laughs> good job of you know when he's uh, getting rid of her car, of giving you a feeling of. You know, uh, you're very tense, and you're just like, 
oh, I, that car needs to go down. Why won't it go down? You know, and you feel it in Anthony Perkins' face and his performance and just mm-hmm. the way he holds himself. Um, and it's 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 fantastic. Um, and he uh, he's just he blows me away every single time I watch the movie because uh, he just does so many interesting things with it. Um, you know, his character is you know a direct um, you know precursor to James McAvoy and Split in so many ways. Um, and the movies are very similar, at least for the first part. Um, and it's just so interesting to watch uh, Anthony Perkins' performance in this movie because he he's electric on screen, uh, both before and after you realize there's something wrong with him. Yeah, it's a lot of... Uh... There's the one after when where he changes, like when he's being uh, uh, asked questions and is very nervous following uh, the disappearance of uh, of uh, of uh, Ver- Vera Miller's character, mm-hmm. and he plays the nerve like from kind of confident in in himself to nervous to changing. He 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 plays the 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 change of emotion so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, and he does manages to be like very, very uh, scary at times. Like the, this, the murder of the detective, is, I think a better even scene, a scarier even scene than the, the shower murder. At least, I think because the shower murder, I was expecting it. Mm-hmm. When he, when, when, uh, what you kind of think is his mother comes out of the room and you get the shot from overhead right. of the staircase and she, he, she starts just stabbing him down the stairs. It's, it's such a surprise. It comes like, there's no expectation of it. There's no, it just right. comes and, and it's the, how it's shot is very, it's, it's feels so visceral. It's great. It's it's yeah you're very right it it you don't you're not looking f- forward to it but you also have in the back of your head the you know the classic you know trope of don't don't go down the stairs don't go up the stairs you don't go up the stairs you know not to go up the stairs um, <laughs> and you get the sense of this might have been the movie that birthed that a little bit but it's still it's still very shocking um, when he dies and it's a very well it's a very well done scene and i love that it's again it's an overhead shot it's not a close-up and it's not a jump scare uh you see every bit of it uh <laughs> uh well yeah, not exactly it's... yeah no no you, you but you see him come out and stab her uh, and stab him i mean and it's mm-hmm. uh it's very like it's so quick you, you blink you miss it mm-hmm. but it's very like a, a, a very and the camera angle just makes it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and again Hitchcock. He's he's amazing with the camera. He uses the camera so well, um, and he uses montage so well. Um, and he's considered one of the fathers of modern montage. And he's he's just he knows how to formulate a scene to make it really really tense and really just you know unnerving um and you really see 
that skill on display throughout the entirety of this movie. Um, and I, and I, this is the, one of the ones that I saw in theaters. Um, you know, we've both seen a couple of them in theaters, and this is one of the few that I've seen. And it's it works on the big screen so well. Everything is amplified on the big screen. Um, and every reaction, you know. And I just, yeah, I love it. I, I love this movie, kind of. It's I think it's up, up there for me. I think North by Northwest might be my favorite. And this is maybe a close second. Yeah, for me, I think I like Vertigo the best. And this is, the, for me, the second, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, we both have the same number two. <laughs> it's a good number like, two. Like we do for, I think, a few directors. I know for sure uh, for uh, right. Tarantino we have the same number two. Yeah, we, I think we do. We have a lot... We share a lot of the same number twos, which is actually that's the basis of a friendship uh, for anybody <laughs> out there. <laughs> uh, you don't want to agree on your favorites, but your next favorites—that's what you want to agree on. Um, you know, you want to agree on your second favorite uh, movie theater food, uh, not on <laughs> not on the first favorite. Um, so yeah. Uh, what, what is your second favorite um, <laughs> movie? <laughs> since I brought it up. Uh, uh, pretzels, big, the big, the big pretzels. That's my second favorite. Okay. Um, so oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's a thing. Um, but yeah, so Psycho, um, it's a good movie. You should have watched it already. If you haven't watched it and you're listening to this, go watch Psycho. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Psycho is the one that's like, yeah, everyone should watch it because it's still, it still works. The surprise still is there. Mm-hmm. You. If you don't know what's gonna happen, if you don't know about the 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 split personality thing, it's still a very for me it was very surprising. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect it uh, until un, until a, a bit further in the film when he when he carries her, mm-hmm. and you're like, um, maybe she's not alive. Right. Yeah. Um... But, but I have to say one thing though the the scene where. Um, where his uh, uh, the the sister finds the skeleton. Oh yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> skeletons don't work for me. <laughs> just the skeleton face is just a bit funny instead of being scary. It looks like a Halloween prop. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> it looks yeah. like it looks it'd be funny. on your front door. Like... <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. You're right. Like, like, God, you know, and here's the thing. We brought this up with Dialing for Murder. That scene goes on a little bit long. <laughs> it could go a little bit faster. Yeah. Anthony Perkins could show up dressed as his mother a little bit quicker. And the cops could pin him down to the ground a little bit quicker. I, I think it would have worked for us if this guy then was a bit better. Or right. if it was like... A, a decrepit corpse, corpse, like not just a skeleton. Give me right. like a, a face with like, like, like a yeah. Well, like uh, it's a skeleton painted to look like it has skin on. Um, yeah. Which, which okay. Um, and yeah. maybe maybe that worked at the time in black and white. Most also we got to remember uh, obscenity laws at the time and things like that. And like we've seen, you know. 
even just by you know through passing we've seen law and order and cop shows <laughs> that have far more accurate dead bodies in them um so i think we're a little bit spoiled in that department you know like we've seen photorealistic dead bodies in our lifetimes um so maybe at the time it worked but now it doesn't yeah no no it's just a, it just feels like a goof a bit mm-hmm. yeah. it, it, it does makes me smile more than anything right yes but i think it's followed up by one of the scariest scenes i've ever watched oh yeah yeah exactly when when he comes out to in the wig and the cheap yes. wig that's basically falling off and coming to kill her and you, you you're sure he's gonna do it right and then they follow that up with first the scene, the explanation of what's going on with him, and then the scene of him in that room, and it's just it's just his face, and the monologue. Um, it's I love it. I, I love it. So it's much. terrifying. Honestly, it's terrifying that scene. It's again the last scene is the scariest. Mm-hmm. It works. It's it's uh, it's uh, um, I don't know. It's just so spooky. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just this. Very, you know, like friendly sounding old woman, <laughs> just saying yeah. these no, very it, terrible no, yeah, things. The, the, the word I was searching was unsettling. It's just very unsettling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, God, great. That's it's a great ending to a movie. One of the all time endings yeah. to a movie, possibly. Yeah, and and like, like you said before, his performance, even in that scene, the, just moving his eyes and not not doing any smiling a bit, mm-hmm. it just looks. Worse and worse. Mm-hmm. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's great. It's brilliant. Um, yeah. So I mean, if you haven't seen Psycho, once again, go see it. Um, it's great. Um, it's a movie that will probably come up many times on this podcast because it's it's so interesting. Um, and it has there's so many different contexts in which to bring it up in. Um, so I guess we can, unless you have one last thing to say on Psycho, I guess we can transition into sort of a something a little bit yeah. different um but still oh, related yeah, that's cool. no i think we, we did uh, go around psycho i do like one, one thing i'll mention again maybe i like mentioning details at the end but i love that the the scene at the beginning the the guy with way too much cash that's like i only carry what i can afford to lose right i love that quote that's yeah that's pretty good she's like He's a cartoon, basically, but he's... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like this kind of cartoon. Right. Like he, he's kind of... He made his money, you don't know how, but he's rich as hell, and yeah. he's just having fun with life. Yeah, I love I love when Foghorn Leghorn shows up. And he, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, he's, he, but yeah, you're, you're right. He's, he's, he is a cartoon, but he's such a... He's such an effective cartoon um, yeah. that it it makes it okay. Um, so yeah, I guess we'll uh, yeah we're transitioning I guess into a um, a documentary. Um, it's available on HBO, and it is called uh, Hitchcock Truffaut, um, and it is based on uh, a series of interviews that were published as a book. Um, you know, many years ago, and there have been many editions, uh, by Francois Truffaut, uh, inter- as he was interviewing Alfred Hitchcock with help of a, uh, interpreter. And it's, a it's a very good documentary, and it really highlights this sort of 
friendship that began between these two directors from different generations who were part of very different styles uh, in cinema um, and how they sort of, you know, had this strange connection that uh, sort of started towards the end of Hitchcock's life um, and unfortunately towards the end of Truffaut's, Truffaut's tragically short life uh, uh as the movie yes. points out um and it's it's, it's like, just a very interesting Truffaut, movie yeah Truffaut could have still been making movies today actually <laughs> yeah probably he probably yeah. would yeah he'd be he would be probably i mean he would still be schooling scorsese um on a yearly basis <laughs> <laughs> uh, like <laughs> It would be very interesting to see what his movies would be, you know, in in a world where, you know, there's CGI and all these things. And it would be very interesting to see what he would do um, or if he would just stick to the basics. Um, so, yeah, that's a whole different line of thought that I hadn't even hadn't even occurred to me. But, you know, what would Truffaut's attitude about the 90s be What would, <laughs> uh, in that era of film and, you know, and all these different things that have changed? Um, that's that's interesting. I'm going to have to think about that quite a bit now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the main point is the documentary uh, is about this interview. And these interviews are very interesting um, because you you really get a sense for what Truffaut found interesting and also what Hitchcock what Hitchcock found interesting in his own films. Um, yeah, what, she, what Hitchcock tried to do and how it worked for him and how what he, he's very open at, about what he was he trying to say or do or make the audience do. And it's very interesting in a way that it's not... I, I don't do a lot of director commentary, but I, I think that's how the good ones are, maybe. Mm-hmm. I think you, you've listened to more than me. I've listened to quite a few. I haven't actually listened to any of his commentaries, but I I kind of want to because he's the he's the guy who I most want to hear sort of his thoughts on each film and where each film came from, um, because he's he has so many insights, um, and he, every film that he ever did, he he would research them so in depth. Uh, even if they weren't based on anything real, he would, you know, he would find stories about things that are very similar to what he was portraying, and you know, zero in on these details and sort of bring them into the film. So that would that's something that's interesting. Um, but I, I like Truffaut, and I like what he goes after and what he asks Hitchcock about. It's very fascinating to me um all these little all these little things that come up in the film and i also i love when hitchcock will ask him questions back you know when he brings up the scene of um is it anton i can't remember the name of uh the character from antoine antoine uh, yeah, yeah. I, I gotta look up 400 blows now but uh is the character from 400 blows when he brings up the scene uh you know which is autobiographical about him seeing his mother um and i love how that connected to 
I love I love how the, I love that whole conversation about that scene and about how yeah, So you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I was just giving you space to talk. <laughs> um, no, no, no. I to go. I was just cutting in. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, no. Um, I love how it sort of it sort of connects to what we were talking about with the birds a little bit in terms of like you know building tension in space and in getting a sense of where things are in sort of in connection to each other. At least that's how I remember that part of the documentary going where it's yeah exactly i i, I watched it he think about how where there are one like hitchcock asked ask very specific questions about what uh Truffaut did about mm-hmm. how he positioned the character about if they talked after because then he he scolds him he said i wouldn't have made him them talk at all but but the mother makes a comment when the kids uh, spot her mm. yeah it's, yeah that's right yeah. I, yeah it's very interesting to, to hear him talk about a scene he's never he's never he, he hasn't I don't think he had seen the film at the time right it doesn't look like it when he they're talking about it so it's very interesting to hear him probably picture the scene in, in his head and make it as he goes mm-hmm. how he, he would have done it yeah yeah and it's it, and it's still a great scene in the original true film i i, I really like that scene yeah uh but yeah it's, you're right he doesn't you get the sense of him you know peeling apart what true is telling him and commenting on it without having actually seen it and his and just the way he talks about it is very informed and you really get a sense that he knows the language of cinema so well that he doesn't need to see it. Um, yeah. And I, and I love that. I love the sense of that. And this movie, it's very, it does go a lot into Hitchcock. Um, and it goes a lot into like, you know, how he was playing with format, you know, and how he was playing with his own movies and how, you know, a movie that we talked about, you know, discussing here was Rope and how that's a movie where uh, he was testing himself and, like, he was seeing if he could, you know, not use his usual bag of tricks and sort of, you know, avoid them. You know, let's throw what I normally do away and, you know, try not using montage. Just try using very long shots um, but still being able to build tension um, without doing the typical thing. And, it, and, and it, yeah. I, I like I, I like that a lot. We haven't talked about it, but a lot of this film is hearing uh, modern directors talk about the Hitchcock films. Mm-hmm. They and go very in depth about Hitchcock films. So they they you you'll hear. Hitchcock talked about a particular scene, then Martin Scorsese, then um, David Fincher talked about that same scene, and it's very always very interesting to see what Hitchcock was trying to do and how it it impressed those directors that 
today are some of the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's very interesting to see their take on it. You know, and I love I love when Fincher's you know he's talking about if you think you can make a movie and not have all of your fetishes and all of I don't remember his exact wording, but all your little all, all the little things that make you you and not have them show in your movie um then you don't know what you're doing you know or something like that he says something along those lines and it's 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 such a great sort of just way of uh narrowing down what hitchcock did in so many of his movies where he really is you know tightening down on the things that make him him you know and i actually had a better appreciation for vertigo a little bit because they're breaking down vertigo specifically and how you know in a way what happens with uh i can't remember the actress's name but uh what jimmy stewart does you know uh over the course of that film uh to uh, we just talked about it last week but uh, i can't remember the character's name i have to look it up i can uh kim novak yeah kim novak what happens to her and how that's a reflection of his sort of feelings and how he sort of treats women and what he or not how he treats them but how he wants to treat them in a way the kind of control that he wants to have um and his sort of weird little quirks that you know nobody can confirm about him but it says so much about who he is um and how and and i love how that sort of you know goes on into other directors and how that sort of reflects on them you know and it's very you know Truffaut, uh, 400 Blows, and the mini sequels to 400 Blows, um, they are all semi-autobiographical. Um, and in the, you get to see this character grow up over the course of those movies. Um, and it's interesting that both, both of their careers are about them as people, um, but they both do that in different ways. Um, but they're both very truthful about the people in question. So, well, you're right. I, 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 I don't think I don't. I think someone goes deep to process or or. Reading an author's takes on his own work, but it this film is so it, it made me want to like right now just get the book and start reading it mm-hmm. about the movies I've seen and just watching them and reading about them. Yeah. It's so interesting and how he's like you said he puts himself in those films and hear him hear him hear him talk about them. It's it's so. It makes them better. So watch. It's very The second half of this film is very much a film of desire and molding someone to your there, but how he described it in a very like or kind of um, no holds no holds back fashion. It's like it's mm-hmm. like you you. you a, um, a woman is naked for you and you're about to to her but she doesn't take her underwear off at the moment and that's, that's describing 
uh, when when uh, Kim Novak's character is all looking back to her older self, except when she changed her hair, and it's such a it's such a way of describing that scene that's perfect that they would have never thought about, and that it's crazy that he thought about it while making the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh... it shows yeah it shows how he's good to. He's so good at putting himself in his work by that time. And I, that's why I think Vertigo is uh, an incredible film. That's why it's my favorite. Yeah. It's, it's a very, it's very, per- again, it's very personal in an interesting way that I wouldn't, I wouldn't have necessarily expected. Um, but yeah, so this is, it's a very interesting movie to watch. Um, and uh, you just, you, you directors show up and you're just very interested to see what they say they come up they have all these different insights um and it's it's just endlessly fascinating uh there's a couple of french directors who actually show up who i don't know um but i'm interested to go and look at their work um uh, olivier asayas did the personal shop this year i don't know if you've seen that Oh, but I, I do know that one. It's I, the Kristen Stewart film right. where, it would, yeah, it's we're, we're gonna talk about it in the next few weeks because it's gonna be on my top ten films of the oh. year. So I, I'll say definitely watch it, especially because it's a, it's a it, it borders the horror in a hmm. very good way. Interesting. Um, like, yeah, hmm. but yeah, I, I like him. Uh, he did that, and I liked a lot also Clouds. Of Sils Maria, another film with, uh, I think, uh, Juliette Binoche and Kristen Stewart. Mm. Uh, but yeah, he's he's a he's one of my favorite directors right now. My favorite French director, definitely. Oh, okay. So I, I know who this is. I've known of his films. I didn't know that was his. I didn't know he was the director of those films. Um, interesting. Um, yeah. Um, but there's a yeah. So basically. There's a lot of people that show up in this, and you know you're going to be fascinated by what they have to say. Um, you know, uh, Paul Schrader shows up, and uh, I can't remember what film it was, but uh, you know, I love the story of you know Martin Scorsese showing him. I think it was Vertigo for the first time, um, and this also the story that Vertigo wasn't always a movie that could easily be watched that it was kind of a lost movie for a while that actually gave me also more appreciation for the film i didn't know that it was kind of a a clockwork orange type movie where not everybody had access to it um which is interesting. it's a movie that was really disliked when it came out also right. yeah yeah and that's because it that's interesting yeah it came out for, i think i think we we said the same year uh, or close to north by northwest which is very <laughs> a very different films and if you're expecting one and you get the other it's it, i kind of right. get expectation yeah yeah north north by northwest is much more traditional um than vertigo um and it's it's a plot b plot c plot you know ending good guys win bad guys die everybody walks home happy um so i could see why one was more liked than the other um but yeah that's yeah it's very interesting to see all these like little 
stories about these directors who you know some of which you know some of which you don't and how they sort of you know connect to these movies and to this book this i didn't know that this was sort of if you were a director at the time that these interviews came out this was like a, a bible almost like this is the thing that you read if you were interested in being a filmmaker um and it, it's understandable why it would be because i can imagine it being a very valuable resource um and i i'm like you i kind of want to buy a copy if i can get a hold of one um because it w- does seem like an interesting thing to sort of just dig into yeah uh, i think i'll look for one if when next time i go to the library mm-hmm. uh i think this is a good place to end on hitchcock i think we will maybe get back to Hitchcock, talk about Rope and 39 Steps and Rebecca and maybe a silent film of his. But yeah. for now, I think we we both like Hitchcock. And I think watching a lot of his films back to back and talking about them gave me a new appreciation, mm-hmm. new appreciation for them. Yeah. And uh, part of why I suggested we end on this one is if you watch, I don't know if it's on dvd versions it doesn't seem to be from the two dvds that i've watched recently but if you have any blu-ray edition of any hitchcock film i do it seems like there are hitchcock Truffaut chunks that they took chunks of the interview and put them the chunks the chunks that have to do with the movie you know that you specifically might own uh, and you can listen to them i guess i didn't get a chance to listen to them just because of time um so if you know if there's a particular movie out there that you want to buy that you really want to hear a piece of that interview about that's i would suggest buying it because that's something i intend to do because this knowing the content of this interview is very interesting um so yeah that's a thing and and the ending on this uh on this documentary means it, now, for now, we're going to say next week, but uh, it may ch- schedule may change because we want to do maybe more like end of the year stuff, Oscar stuff mm-hmm. in the in the next few weeks. But uh, our next subject is going to be Truffaut, mm-hmm. and uh, so uh, watch the Four Hundred Blows and Julie Jim for sure if you want to get in on that episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, and yeah. maybe we'll, ha- and maybe it? we'll have a guest for that one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, first, first guest. So I'm excited for that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, this has been, uh, the Lost Sorrow podcast. Um. See you next week, I guess. Yeah. Yay. Goodbye. Bye. Come and see you by me.